Despite the silence that reigned in that ancient place, the warrior knew well that he was being followed. Primordial trees rose to towering heights, casting the world beneath in a dim twilight, the sun's rays only occasionally piercing the veil. Beneath the emerald canopy, the world was a riot of bramble and thicket, where ivy-choked groves sprung from patches of nettle and gooseberry. From some shadowed place, an owl called out, and the warrior paused, heeding the ill omen. Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of Rogues in the House. In this episode, we are going to talk about the 1982 film Conan the Barbarian. With me as always, I have both Logan and Matt, and so I don't stumble all over myself, I will introduce them one at a time. Logan, what's going on? How's it going, man? Doing well, doing well. Matt, how are you doing? Um, Very good. Excellent. Looking over over my notes for this one. Very good. It's important. It seemed like you took a book of notes. I did. So... I am super duper excited to do this episode because we actually have a special guest on the show. We didn't announce this to anybody, uh, but this is incredible. I am thrilled. The guests we've had before have been awesome, but this is, I don't think we're ever going to get a better guest. We have the one and the only Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, how are you doing? Hey, that's right. I'm, I'm doing great here in California. I am here to talk on the podcast and things of that nature. So let's do it. Yeah, this is incredible. I can't believe that we have you. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you about, about the Conan movie. I know that um, recently there's been a lot of this in the news. Can you comment about anything about that as well? Right. I, I heard about your podcast and I decided it's going to come over here and talk about the new Conan movie and things like that. And uh, we're hopefully going to get it. Uh, we're going to do it. That would be amazing. Oh, my God. You heard it first right here on Rogues in the House, guys. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's incredible. So why don't we move into our, uh, our segment, uh, Bizarre of the Bizarre. This is where we talk a little bit about uh, the points of interest in our life, uh, things that have kind Logan, of caught our what's attention. The you, 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 what's the matter with you? I see you in the camera. You, you're laughing. It's just just having such a good time. <laughs> All right, come on, let's do it. We're here. Uh, Logan, you look completely unprepared to talk, so I'm going to ask you to do your points of interest first. All right, yeah, Logan, uh, keep keep it professional, man. Like, you got you it. Have you got it. I'm trying my best here. I just uh, I I can't help it in the uh, the shadow of stardom here. He's uh, he's overwhelmed, ladies and gentlemen. He's overwhelmed by having solidly overwhelmed. Um, uh, my, my point of interest here, uh, I've been diligently reading the, uh, the Conan the Barbarian and Savage Sword comics on my, on my phone through the Marvel app. And I like them both. I know, um, Savage Sword especially has been kind of contentious with some art and, uh, some design choices. But I'm a little lackadaisical, I think, on my my standards as far as that goes. Um, really, all I'm expecting is a fun adventure story. Uh, but the most recent one, we kind of, spoiler alert, see Conan visit the uh, perspective of the Punisher, or Batman, in a way. Um, on my first read, uh, I found myself, like, I get it. 
I know what they were going for. I see it, but there's a one aspect of the story that I was just like, this is this is not what I what I see here. On my second read, I liked it better. I still don't like this uh, driving force behind his actions in the story. Did he um, all fevered? Yeah, he's sick is yeah. what it is. And, like, I get it. He gets sick, but there's no there's no sorcery involved. He's just he's just sick. Yeah, so you, and, you've, got, you've, you've got Conan burning up with the flu um, while simultaneously really coming to grips with the weight of the crown and the fact that, you know, all these people are coming to him about taxes and issues with the road of Kings, etc., And he's just, he's had enough of it. And he feels yeah. like he needs to test his metal again. And I'll just chime in for a second only because like I had heard some murmurings about the issue and I was a little late reading it and perhaps knowing what sort of was going to happen before I went into it may have helped buffer the surprise, but like, yeah, yeah. I really liked this issue. I might have liked it the best out of all of them. And really, uh, yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. Um, it's like, for me, it's a perfect example of really jumping into the sandbox of the pastiche, right? We've sure, you know, you can you can hew incredibly close to Howard and like stay in the lane so much. And, and I think, I think as a general rule, that might be your best idea, but. I do like to see people just kind of go wild with it and see what comes. And this issue for me, I thought the writing was really strong. Yeah. Like yeah. The scene where he's just looking over his balcony, hoping he sees an army. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I, it's funny. It's funny too. It's like you see Conan in this bit of a vulnerable state, but realistically he's anything but, and then the whole interactions with the lion, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to spoil too, too much, but. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Everything that you mentioned, I totally loved. This mm. is totally in character for him. Um, just that it even only mentions it a couple times that he's sick, and that's why he does it. Yeah, like that just doesn't seem like like he would do it because he wanted to do it. Yeah, but I think it was a. I think too though, it was more of a. It was a catalyst for him to truly test himself. And the idea was that it was the civilization flu, right? It's like honestly, like right. a, it's like a literal manifestation of the weakness caused by civilization. So totally, I don't know. yeah. No, I, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. I did like it better on a second and even like second and a half read through because I did read through it again yeah. a third time. Um, the the sickness thing still bothers me, but I I did like it more than I did the first time. It is a good run. I've enjoyed every episode of Barbarian very much. I like that it shows flashes of like his point, his his like major points in time. Mm. Um, as far as the story goes, I still don't think it's leading up to his death because they're not going to kill off the character. Let's be real. Yeah. No. Um, Savage Sword has its issues, but I have enjoyed that too. But that's a whole other episode, and I don't want to take up too much time. Pun intended. Yeah. Unintended. Fair right? enough. Arnold, were you able to get a read of the newest comic yourself? Uh, they gave me the issue with uh, me on the cover. It was it was great. It was fantastic. And so I read it and uh, I give it the uh, the thumbs up from California. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've actually have not read the latest, but I know of the issue that you got. I saw that all over the news. I think that's fantastic uh, as well. It's really cool that they would they would gift you such a such a cool issue. Right. Exactly. Matt, did you have uh, anything as a point of interest that you would like to bring up? 
Uh, yeah, I'm just going to bring up rather quickly. Um, I dug on, I dug into my to be read pile, which is just really more of a fountain overflowing with books at this point. Um, and I pulled out Skelos, the Journal of Weird Fiction and Dark Fantasy issue two. I had read uh, Scott Odin's tale from it previously and sort of leafed through it, but I took a closer look this time. I have not read all of it, but it's um, it's something I want to recommend in any case. It has got fiction from Howard Andrew Jones, uh, a, a, a dabber and... Uh, uh, the Beer and Asim. Yes, sorry. So yeah, our two yeah. protagonists from um, Desert of Souls. So you've got one of those in there. You've got fiction from Adrian Cole. You have got uh, the one I started reading was Milton Davis's The Skin Man, which was a rather cool short story. And, and he, he's an author I wanted to kind of explore a little more. Um, he seems to be like the driving force now behind the sword and soul genre. That's right. Which, if you aren't familiar, um, pioneered by Charles Saunders and Amaro, but it's it's basically sword and sorcery, but Afrocentric. That's right. As opposed to like the general Eurocentric type of thing. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. So um, I'm enjoying that. And I just would really recommend it as a publication because it has uh, short fiction, poetry. It has uh, reviews. It has scholarly articles. Um, it's just really the whole package. Um, so Skelos issue two and issue three is out as well. And uh, there is more to come. If you're not up to date on it and you listen to this podcast, I mean, I, I would imagine you'd be pretty pleased with picking that up. Some heavy hitters in there. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Um, so my uh, my POI, point of interest, uh, is really a, a non-sword and sorcery one, but it is a podcast-related one. So I have been fiddling for the past, I don't know, week, week and a half uh, with OBS, um, which for those of you who don't know, is sort of the software that's used for streaming um, and I've created some, some pretty fancy, well, <laughs> I'd like to say they're fancy, they're fancy for me, uh, overlays, um, that we're actually using right now while we're recording. Uh, this is sort of a test run of it. Um, but I think in the future we're hoping to do maybe some live streams, uh, and other, other neat things where we can edit it down and, and hopefully, um, show you what we look like as we, as we do these sorts of, uh, recordings. So yeah, that's me. All right, so why don't we uh, dig into the uh, the movie itself, uh, Matt? I know that you had sort of the um, the agenda written down for this, so why don't you bring up the first scene that you wanted to talk about? Sure. Um, there's so many to choose. Uh, God, there's so many classic scenes in this movie. Uh, I will start by saying, giving a tiny piece of history. This was a film they were trying to get off the ground for quite a while. You had different actors uh, attached to it, or or that they were looking to do, like Charles Bronson at one point, uh, they were looking at for Conan. Um, it is a Dino De Laurentiis production. It is a it is from a script by John Milius, um, who wrote Apocalypse Now, who wrote that uh, famous uh, scene in Jaws, <laughs> where the guy's talking about the... Uh, the scars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and so, but... Oliver also, Stone, yeah, Oliver Stone also um, was writing the script at a time too, and apparently his version involved like a post-apocalypse kind of thing. Yeah, if you so, haven't read it, it's an acid trip. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, I heard it's crazy. Um, yeah. I have not, and I really uh, it's something I should put on my list. Um, 
but he still has some of the writing credits. So it's a it's a script by Stone and Milius, uh, starring our guest Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right. Um, it's starring Jerry Lopez, uh, Sandal Bergman, uh, and James Earl Jones are your main your main people. Who did not read an audio version of Fafford and the Gray Mouser? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the record, he did not do that. Oh, and of course, we should mention uh, Mako. He is your your classic narrator who reads the truncated version of the Nemedian Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So, this film, uh, you know, for me, it's 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 in my it's my number one film of all time. I would have to say, definitely, uh, easily my favorite film. Yeah, it's just scene for scene. A beautiful film in many ways, brutal film, but just pure classic. So we may not, we'll probably won't touch on every scene in the film, um, but we're going to try and go uh, chronologically in a linear fashion through those scenes to just kind of uh, explain probably why we love it so much. I I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of harsh criticism here. So the film starts out with a quote from Frederick Nietzsche. That which does not kill you makes you stronger. That's right. Um, which I think, you know, it just, and it comes in with that super stylized text, which I'm guessing production designer Ron Cobb uh, put together, but I can't be certain about that. And that kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? And then we get bum, 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 bum. That's right. You know the song that plays in, 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 the, uh, in the north of all men's hearts. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) unforgettable potentially arguably the greatest um, movie score of all time oh that's tough talk no Uh, no. it's good it's good but it's not the greatest I think it's the greatest all right well you know you're entitled (laughs) to your opinion (laughs) of course I Uh, so from there one of the first images we see is that of a sword or the forging of a sword Mm. Dealing with hot lava, you know, the the forge milk, as it were. <laughs> the forge milk? It's <laughs> like a protein shake. Yeah, well, this, milk. this movie is a protein shake. Get real. <laughs> uh, that's right. It is. You got to get your protein. If you're not getting your macros, you're not getting your carbohydrates, you're not going to get pumped. Right. You need to be pumping iron. Right. And the whole movie is about getting pumped. <laughs> spoken so true, Arnold. Right. Um, so we get past that scene, um, and then we get to one of my one of the scenes that's always struck me so much is um, Conan's dad, his blacksmith father, speaking with him about the riddle of steel, which of course is the, you know, it's it's the real big insertion to the film that's become, you know, part of the real iconic, the iconic um, aspects of the script are tied up in the riddle of steel, and obviously that has nothing to do with Robert E. Howard. It's, but, it's canonized, I think, would be the, the term, really. Canonized. <laughs> De- like, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> in yeah, popular yeah. culture, yeah. like Conan is synonymous with the Riddle of Steel. Yeah, That's right. In the Crush Your Enemies quote, which I'm it sure even, we'll yes. It even makes an appearance in the 2011 reboot film. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. inescapable. And it's called the Enigma of Steel, which just to be annoying, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, they didn't want to be copycats, but... They should not have done that. Well, Whatever. yeah, don't be a copycat and don't do it. Anyways, right, I, I, I agree. That's a different episode. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and that will probably happen. Uh, so, obviously, he and his dad um, 
well, he doesn't converse. Young Conan doesn't say anything. He utters no lines. Yeah. Um, tells him the riddle of steel. Like, do you want to explain what the riddle of steel is, Logan? Uh, basically, the to sum it up, I mean, the father is like, you can't trust people. You can't trust animals. But what you can trust is the sword. Yeah. Um, surely the sword is symbolism. You could probably argue over what the symbolism is in the end, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Yeah. Um, ultimately I think it's the idea of, uh, you trusting only yourself. Don't rely on anyone else, uh, which may or may not be the case throughout the film. I'm sure there's no one that's listening that hasn't seen it, but yeah. just in case I won't ruin it. Well said. And I think, I think that opening scene too is just like dripping with pathos. I, I like, think it's my favorite scene. It's it's among mine. It's among yeah, mine. It's it's passionate and um, a little trivia. The guy the the guy that plays the father. I don't know his name right now. Oh. Um, but that's basically his only set of lines. But I read an article that said that he was so passionate about his lines that like he put his all into this. And it's such a simple, quiet scene. But it's conveyed so well. Like he, it looks like a real father telling his real son, which I don't think comes across in every movie. That kind of relationship, right? Um, and I think the part of what this film does really great is it it takes non actors and pulls good performances out of them. That's what a good director does. Agreed. None um, of the main characters are big name actors. No. Arnold was his only other film was. Hercules time, in right? New York, and he yeah, didn't right. have a line. Hercules in New York. They didn't even let me speak my lines. I know that. <laughs> see, that was a mistake, though. That was, that movie right. would have been much bigger. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen the movie. I'm sorry, Arnold, but it's all right. So <laughs> let's get out of clear. the let's get out of the first five minutes, five, five ten minutes, minutes of the movie, <laughs> and move a little bit further in. <laughs> I, I, but I'm glad that those are your favorite scenes. I mean, yeah. I, we'll get to my favorite scene. Um, so we've we've gone through childhood a little bit. Uh, yeah. Then there's a big uh, a big uh, life event that happens, of course. Yeah, his village gets destroyed, which I guess is now again like the Riddle of Steel, like popular culture Conan right. canon. For whatever reason, no one can escape the idea of his village getting destroyed is like an origin story, which is dumb. It works in this movie. I like it. Um, my favorite, or one of my favorite parts about the director, he also directed Jeremiah Johnson, which is one of my other favorite movies. Um, his use of silence, like lack of dialogue, mm. because after the father son scene, we don't get any real lines from anybody Except until, yeah, until narrator. the narrator comes in after the village is destroyed and it's just uh, Basil's beautiful score over over the scenes, but yeah, village destroyed. And let's next. talk about the not talking for a second. Let's talk about not talking. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there, there's a scene in which James Earl Jones displays a little bit of power. Right. He after killing uh, after Conan's father is cut down and then basically ripped apart by armored, Dogs. armored Rottweilers. Uh, actor, by the way, named William Smith. There you go. Um, his Conan's mother. So you're uh, saying then, Will Smith played that role? <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You know. <laughs> Get him on as a guest too for no reason. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I win. <laughs> okay. All right, nailed it. So so yes, we we were talking about the powers that uh, James Earl Jones's character um, sort of displays subtly. Very right. subtly. And, and, yeah. so, and so I think, I mean, to me, that's right now we're talking about uh, sword and sorcery genre, right? This could have been more overt. This could have been uh, more hand-waving. And we're talking about the, the sort of hypnosis on his mother, or at least it mm. seems like hypnosis, or maybe he just convinces her to lower her sword. Uh, yeah. And some sort of mind control uh, uh, ability and I find that very interesting. And there's a few points in this movie like that that are very subtle, and you almost don't know: is it re- is it really? Is it something that he did, or is it just him staring her down, turning his back? And again, you said that it it references it later as well. Right. Um, yeah. But there are a few things that that I that they leave for interpretation, which I think is cool. And yeah. also, James Earl Jones's blue eyes appear to be natural. I've never really thought about his eyes before until we're talking about it now. But I just looked up a picture, and he's got blue eyes, and they're stunning. Like even yeah. if it wasn't magic, I would melt in James Earl Jones's eyes. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> moving past that, uh, yeah, he and I think too, if you're approaching this film for the first time. And you don't know the nature of this character. Um, that's right. The, the hypnosis would be kind of subtle. So I think, oh, by the way, his Conan's mother's, the actress, is has a single name on IMDb. And her name is Nadioska. Pretty sure I read she was a porn star. I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to say that is 100% like accurate. But you'll happily spread the rumor. Well, you know, if someone wants to correct me, more than welcome to correct me. I'm not an expert. Arnold, do you know? Please correct me. Yeah, Arnold, do you know? I don't know. I don't want to comment on these things and the uh, and things of that nature. That's probably wise. <laughs> That's probably wise. Um. So yeah. There, so we talked a little bit about that that particular scene, and then from there, uh, the movie transitions scenes a little bit more quickly. I think at that point. So then we're. Uh, they they bring him essentially to the wheel of pain. So they have that little scene where they're kind of marching through, um, you know, the, the the wastelands essentially. They take him north to uh, to the Vanier with the Vanier. Yeah, and uh, so then they're put on the wheel, and this is a scene that a lot of Conan and Howard purists are bothered by the most um, because the idea of the Conan from Robert E. Howard's stories, you know, he would not stay chained to a wheel for ten years or whatever. Uh, which is a fair point. However, that scene is so iconic and so cool, and the score, you know, works so well. When suddenly he grows up over time, and then you see Arnold. Right, exactly. Now, I'm by no means advocating that he would be tied to a ch- like this wheel for ten years, but there was a letter that I Howard wrote to Lovecraft. Um, that talked about Conan being a slave uh, under the Hyperboreans. Right. And while we never got the story, that does appear to be part of Conan's history. Yeah, that's true. That is there. I mean, I don't think it was for that stretch of time. Uh, No, I don't think so either. No. And um, 
but it's worth noticing. And then, of course, he's he's thrown into the pits as a gladiator, which is something that's mentioned in the Cull stories. Before, yes, before we jump gladiator. to the gladiator pit stuff, and we can talk about that as well, uh, sure. I want to hop back to the Wheel of Pain. So iconic scene, absolutely. There's one thing that I always find strange about this, uh, and maybe mm. you know I'm gonna I'll bring it up and we'll see if we can kind of put our heads around it. When he goes there and he gets hooked up, there's it appears that there's a number of people pushing the Wheel of Pain. That's right. Mm-hmm. In the span of time that he's there, at the end, he is the only one pushing the Wheel of Pain. So does that suggest perhaps that either everyone else got sold off, maybe they died? Uh, but I've always found that a little interesting that they didn't bother getting more slaves. <laughs> they just sort of was like, I guess he was good enough. Um, so they yeah. had him pushing that wheel of pain. Yeah. I think it was implied that they died. But if we think about it, the wheel doesn't do anything. Well, I was going to ask They're Arnold not that. working. They're not mining. Well, John Milius said it was for grinding grain. If you listen to our director's commentary on the film, yeah, it's milling. He talks right? about it being a, a, a grinding mill for the grain. And, and tell me the uh, truth, Arnold. Did they have that thing on a motor for you, or were you able to push that on your own? No, I pushed it myself. Oh, come on, really? Key. Yes, and recently they set up one at the Arnold Classic, and you had the bodybuilders and the strongmen and all these guys, and they were pushing the wheel. That's part of the competition. That's true. My God, that did actually get rolled right into pop culture. Wow, that should be talked yeah. about on a podcast. That's right. Do you actually get the Arnold physique by pushing this, or what muscles does it work here? Yes, it works. It works your legs and it works your back, but you got to do your squats and you got to do your deadlifts and you got to do your push-ups and you got to do your bench press. You got to do all of these things, it, but it's a good workout. So that sounds Excellent. like a lot for Logan. Um, I yeah, think may, may, maybe the uh, the get out of beds is probably the, the one that he can do. Um, he does so, a lot of. I'm he, a morning person. As, Don't talk uh, about me getting out of bed. The, the, the old comedian John Panette said he doesn't do ups. He does downs. <laughs> he does lay downs, yeah. sit downs. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the guy did weigh like uh, 400 pounds, so you know he didn't quite have the Arnold body. If it if it jiggles, it's fat. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's hop along, right? We were talking about the Wheel of Pain. Let's get straight to that those gladiator scenes because those are also pretty awesome, right? This is the first time we really see Arnold uh, in combat, uh, yeah. In the, or I should say, Conan in combat. It's the first time we right. also see Arnold in combat. Uh, and uh, that first fight, he takes a, a little bit of a wallop. Sort of, sort of survives on instinct, I think. Yeah, he's he's yeah. facing a guy with like sharpened teeth. A guy who looks like he might be Harkanian or something. I, I think they were going for a Darfari cannibal with the uh, filed down yeah. teeth. He looks a little more uh, of an Eastern person, but all the same, yeah. you know, with the filed teeth, I'm sure that was a something they read. See, that's the thing. This this film gets a lot of like flack for not being Howard-like, but it is. I disagree. There's I, a lot of Howard stuff in it. Like I think they did their research. Yeah. Oh, they did. You can tell that they read not just Conan. Um, there's some scenes coming up we'll talk about that go beyond that. And like I say, Cull as well with the, uh, yeah. I actually think this, this Conan is more Cull like than he is Conan. Like I could see that actually. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so the gladiator scene and actually little known fact, there was, there was a scene that was shot that actually had Valeria in the fighting pits. You can see production stills of it. Um, oh. where she had uh, originally fought. So I don't know how that factored into the script, but 
it did not it didn't make the cut obviously which i think is probably for the better i like how yeah, she yeah, yeah. Sure. Later. um nothing further i really want to say about the gladiator scene i mean of course at the end um you know you have conan on the pedestal uh and he's asked what is best in life to which he answers crush your enemies see them driven before you and to hear a lamentation of the women nice job arnold you're right on cue there wow Right, I'm good at doing my lines over and over. I do them at all the fan things, and all of the the fans come to me and they say, "Do this line, Arnold," and I do it. I, that must be annoying. And I, and I do it. <laughs> oh, it's great, <laughs> Logan. Were you uh, going to say something? Yeah, the, that line is actually basically a paraphrase of something that the real Genghis Khan said to his real sons. That's right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, it was no. It was no secret that that John Milius wanted to make a Genghis Khan movie. He wanted um, to make a samurai movie, which yeah. like because he was a big fan of uh, like the Seven Samurai and uh, Yojimbo, which has been remade into that Clint Eastwood classic. The, um, the former is one of my most favorite movies of all time. Sure, yeah. I've never seen it. It's great. One day. Well, you've seen Magnificent Seven, I know. So you know, that is true. It's basically that. Only not in <laughs> now with now with guns. Yeah, right. Well, Star Rad. Wars. Is, Star Wars is famously a reskin of the Hidden Fortress as well. I'm mm-hmm. told. Yep. Um, so you know, steal, steal from the best, they say. So skipping ahead uh, from there, um, what's our next scene? I would say Conan is set free and the witch. And the real reason I just wanted to bring up the witch was. Um, the fact that he, he goes there and he's, what's he looking for? He's looking for the, the, the standard with the two snakes coming together, right? And so, black sun over black moon. Two snakes. Right. Where he starts to do the most important move in the entire movie. Yes, exactly. Two, two snakes. There was a lot of silence. Uh, oh, for the camera, <laughs> that was a lot of silence <laughs> on a podcast. You can't see those hands. I'm doing the two hands together thing that he does. <laughs> right. That did two not snakes. translate well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so interestingly, though, one thing that always stood out to me is this scene, I have to think, was was inspired by the Bran McMorn story by Howard called oh. uh, Worms of the Earth. Yeah, I and, bet you're right. Yeah, I actually have it here in front of me. And the line that stands out in the film, which really makes the connection, is the fact that, well, Conan is looking for something. He needs answers. And she says, there's a price, barbarian. And then that price is to basically lie with, with her. Mm-hmm. So in, um, Bran, in the Bran McMorn story, he's with, he's with this uh, witch as well named Atla, I think. And he says, name me a price, he urged. The head of an enemy? And then she says, by the blood in my veins with its heritage of ancient hate, who is mine enemy but thee? She laughed and springing, struck, cat-like, but her dagger splintered on the mail beneath his cloak, and he flung her off with a loathing flirt of his wrist, which tossed her sprawling across the grass-strewn bunk. Lying there, she laughed up at him. I will name you a price then, my wolf, and it may be in days to come you will curse the armor that broke Atlas' dagger. She rose and came close to him, her disquietingly long hands fastened fiercely into his cloak. I will tell you, Black Bran, King of Caledon. Oh, I knew you when you came into my hut with your black hair and your cold eyes. I will lead you to the doors of hell if you wish, and the price shall be the kisses of a king. And so 
that scene goes on and they it's implied that they get together i think it's actually kind of spelled out later sure but the idea yeah. that he has to name you know she has a price he has to do this thing for a witch to get the the information and worms of the earth of course it's uh to find the the lo- a particular location of a hellish place to find the worms of the earth for vengeance essentially mm-hmm. now bringing up other stories from other characters i guess this is still a conan but l sprague de camp wrote a short story called the thing in the crypt which is where they got the scene where he gets the atlantean sword in the story he actually fights the skeleton but it's essentially the same thing yeah so not only are they bringing other howard characters they're bringing in pastiche like stories for the character yeah and and we and we glossed over that but that is actually my favorite scene it really? is, oh, it where is a great he, scene where he gets the sword. So the delivery of his only line there is another Crawl. one of those. It, yeah, it's one. It's none of those moments. Again, I, I said there's like these subtle things where it just hints at. Is it is it a comment of exclamation? You know, the way like he was like, my God, that thing is there. Uh, is it a prayer? Is it mm-hmm. is it a is he identifying the skeleton as? Crumb. right like it's it's That's so amb- it's so ambiguous it. it's so ambiguous and i just think that that is one of the really cool hidden layers of that you just don't really know what what the character thinks and i think that that's yeah. awesome i think that's really cool. and that skeleton i think if you know anything about howard you know it's the atlantean sword i think it's kind of implied that it's supposed to be cull yeah that's what i was gonna that, say and that's a, right another good point and you just don't know and and I think that I, that's that's why that's my most favorite scene. It also goes to we got to mention the score. The the yeah. composer he refused to write the score before the movie. They shot the entire movie, and he wrote the score for each individual scene while watching each individual scene. So the mm. music and the ambiance that you feel from each scene is because he took the time to do that, and it it adds so much to the movie. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. I would also say, too, that, that, yes, Basil's score really shines during that scene, but so, too, does the production design of Ron Cobb. Like through, I, I think this is, has some of the finest production design in any film I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, the designs of the Atlantean, you know, the sword and the helmet that you see on that, that king. He, it should, we should also note, too, I watched this carefully last night, and the guy does look to be gigantic. Like, right, he does look big. And they talk about, you know, in the earlier, um, when he's talking with his dad about the, the giants giant in the earth who lived in the earth, right? And he yeah. finds this guy in a crypt in the earth. So, I mean, that could be something he's talking about, too. Of course, there's the giant kings from mentioned in um, Robert E. Howard's God in the Bowl. I don't think that's what is being referenced here, but it could be something that was in the back of the scriptwriter's minds, right? And also in the what old Savage Swords comic, and they make an appearance in Conan Exiles. Yeah, I've just, so. just been running, writing a lot about them, actually, for something else we'll talk about later. Neat. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear. Um, so, yeah, so that um, that is my favorite scene. So we can proceed uh, chronologically through the, through the movie. After The Witch, uh, we move to... Subatai. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite character in the movie, too. It's a great character. Yep. Um, not he's funny, 
he's clever, but he's not comedic relief like uh, Malik in Conan the Destroyer. Ugh, Malik right. is complete uh, and actually comedic relief. One thing I want to mention now, so we don't forget it later, is that it struck me last night that the characters, sort of like uh, Fafford and the Mouser, um, become oh, yeah. they, they become fast friends, right? Very like interesting. There is this friendship theme running through it. Like he and Subutai become friends quickly with, and, and they kind of have a quick laugh. Same with Mako later when he meets the wizard, they have a laugh. And when they meet Valeria, she's even ha fools. You don't even have a rope, right? Anyways, I know I'm getting ahead, but I didn't want to miss that point that I, I love that aspect. They're just like, they're these rogues on a journey and they quickly, you know, they become fast friends. And, and what does Subutai say to, to Conan? Do you remember? Dinner for wolves. He says, "That's my that's my favorite I, I thing." He says, in days, "And who says you will?" <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Again, Arnold, I really appreciate you get, getting right on cue on that. That's amazing. That was good. <laughs> right, it's one of my favorite movies that I've done. I, I believe it. Well, we're big fans. So we uh, we the party grows by one. Uh, they um, they make it eventually to Zamora. Am I am I right on that? I think so. Yeah, that is correct. Yep. Yeah, they have that beautiful, you know, one of the coolest travel montages in uh, any yeah. film with the score again, this theology, civilization, just really, really singing on the emotions. Um, All filmed in Spain, by the way. Spain. Yep. Yeah. And um, they also have their conversation, their little theological conversation with, uh, you know. My God is Kram, but I seldom pray to him. He doesn't listen. And then, uh, you know, Subutai kind of... <laughs> I pray <laughs> to the me. four winds. Yeah. yeah. And your God... Your God, lead. he sits beneath them. That's right. Yeah. My God is greater. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, Conan gives him the look that could just, like, cut right through him. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. great. I always love that film. Or that scene, sorry. And there's a point in the montage where, like, as I saw this movie first as, like, a what I think I was like 20 years old and I had gone through some stuff and I had seen this point of this movie at like the right point in my life. Where I was like, this was a philosophical journey for me. Mm-hmm. And Subutai says, uh, eat slowly. It's the good stuff. And at the time I was like, that just, that means just enjoy life. Like, <laughs> and that just made so much sense to me at the time, like blew my so mind. That- that's when they're in Zamora. That's when and, they're in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they Which, buy they, they buy the drugs the from Black Lotus. Uh, yeah, from the director. No, from uh from the production designer. That's Ron Cobb who sells them that. Oh, okay. Because John Milius is a, one of those little Yeah, he sells them lizard on a stick. Oh, he's the f- okay, there you go. <laughs> Which I think is, you don't know uh, how long it's been there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, the Black Lotus thing, I think, is interesting, too, because that um, reminds me of um, Tower of the Elephant a little bit, uh, just in the sense yeah. that, like, you know, you're kind of inebriated. Some bragging happens there as well. And then he's like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go and, and do this tower. So, like, they're they're on the drug when they decide right. to infiltrate the tower. Better not be Haga. I yeah. still want to know what Haga is. Like, is it a fake drug? Is that like slang for crap? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I actually, um, one thing I did when I was writing the Conan monolith source book, I wrote a scenario where I actually put that in as a reference. I called the scenario dreams, dreams from the Lotus house, which was like a sort of Lovecraft reference. 
But, yeah. But then uh, in the description, I put, you weren't sold. This is not Lotus. You have been sold Haga. So, <laughs> you're on a That's terrible great. trip, right? Or, uh, anyways, That's I great. couldn't help myself. That's yeah, funny. no, that's good. It's a good reference. Yeah, so to me, cool. I think it's it's interesting that they start their their crazy, you know, their first their first uh, big heist, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. while essentially high on Black Lotus. Yeah, and we said we mentioned in our last episode uh, when we looked at the um, Ilmet and Lawford and the Gray Mouser. Yes. Yeah, like they they did the same thing, and I remember I remarked that for me, that's such a very sword and sorcery thing to do, you know? Yep. It immediately uh, yeah. made me think of that as well. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I would think the same thing here. And then of course, uh, we meet the, the two of them decide to go scale this tower, which is obviously, obviously taken from, um, it has to tower be taken of the from, elephant. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just to, to steal a, a stone. Right. Yep. So that, that's all the there. eye of the serpent instead of the heart of the elephant. Exactly. Because it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's to tie it in. It's to tie it into the plot they have going on in this in this movie. And then they yeah. meet uh, one of Howard's characters, only by name, mm-hmm. Valeria, not of the Red Brotherhood in this film. Right. She but, is an independent thief played by Sandal Bergman, who yeah. is a professional ballet dancer. And Milius chose her because the ballet dancing, he thought, translated well into sword fighting. And it did, uh, from my sure, it perspective. It did. Did and does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, And I think and then, she's most famously, like one of her big lines is, do you want to live forever? Yeah. And that is actually something World War II, or World War I soldiers said before they like climbed over the trench to charge. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Last, There's a lot week. of like historical notes and lines that they put in there that I think... Uh, kind of add to like this epic like timeless quality of the what the characters do and say yeah i have a question on on a scene though um so when they when they meet and essentially they start scaling the tower um how how big is this tower do you think i get the impression it's enormous the tower i get the impression that it's enormous large enough that the average person would use a rope so how did they get the rope affixed to the top I don't like you're you're implying well, that you can essentially throw it and grapple hook it. Yeah, I don't actually think yeah. it's that. I don't think it's that high because at the end when they escape they jump into a pool. It's really high. That's right. You'd yeah. Be, you'd be dead. Okay, I guess I don't know for some reason I'd always it struck me as a very very tall tower, but it's, Well, it's, you actually it's... see it from a distance. Yeah. So in the montage they actually show the same city multiple times from different angles and a couple of those you see the tower um, that they climb later, it's implied that there's more than one tower because Thulsa mm. Doom has spread his influence throughout Zamora. Right. But um, you can see the tower. It's not excruciatingly high. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's always just kind of struck me that suddenly they had the rope up there and I was always thought of like, how, how, how do they do that? Sure. But anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> if it was Conan from the stories, he wouldn't need it. He would scale that thing without a rope. Right. Doesn't he, um, one of them doesn't use a rope though in the movie, right? I think they all do eventually, but you see you see them sort of using daggers or whatever to kind of right, direct. yeah. Um, so, anyways, that scene progresses, and uh, this is among my favorite scenes in the film as well. The soundtrack or the the music score just gets really cool, um, very moody, 
and then they they go to the bowels of this tower and uh, we see a bunch of priests who you could probably also call monks um, <laughs> don't you dare for a particular don't, reason don't taint this for me <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll move past that quickly I just had to get it in there uh, so they get down to the to the bowels of this tower and then we have a classic Conan scene where there is a serpent sleeping yep a giant serpent sleeping as a guardian and yeah. I was watching this with my wife last night and I I was like I, I she's seen it before but I said to really take a look at it and you compare it to like modern CGI there's probably two shots of the snake that are a little bit dodgy and you can totally tell it's a it's a puppet but it that is such an amazing amazing puppet that they created for that yeah, yeah. Like it, it still has, holds up really well it, and like it, when you see it from the top of the pit yeah. and it's already like it's still like writhing after being cut in yeah. half or whatever yeah. Yeah. it still looks really good and when it's cut in half the weight and how it unravels like you can oh, just yeah. really get a sense of the weight of it and then the sweat dripping on its eyeball and the eyeball shifts like i, I think it's incredible I love that in, in older movies. Well done yeah. special effects still blow away the CGI. I and mean, we have great, amazing CGI now. But we like do. The, the old, because like, it's just, it's tangible, you know? Like the green screen right. stuff's amazing and it's cool. But it it's just, just reminds me of like the matte paintings in Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Like CGI, sure. Like in Avengers, it, it does the planets and whatever, but there's nothing that's going to be a good matte painting as a background. Right. Yeah, I just I, I feel like it's a matter of you need to do the appropriate mixture. You need to yeah. only use CGI when you absolutely must, like to show a full body shot of something, like of a dinosaur. If you're doing a full body shot, you need to see the whole thing. But like I remember Starship Troopers, which I actually watched the other week. That is a brilliant Love mixture, puppetry and CGI, and I think it, at the time it was the, it was the one to beat as far as that goes. But. Do you want to know more? Would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? Thank you. Actually, interesting that I noticed uh, in that film, based on the book, they also have the line, do you want to live forever? Come on, you apes, you want to live forever. Um, oh. And Basil also did that soundtrack, and he also did Conan, so they have uh, that degree of separation. I didn't, I didn't realize his name was Basil because I've been calling him Basil like the leaf my entire life. Uh, yeah. Just I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Basil Polidorus. Polidorus, something like that. Polidori. Yeah. Poli- no, no, no. Someone correct us, please. Yes, do that. <laughs> we know not what we do. <laughs> so let's move along, huh? Yeah. So from Tower of the Elephant, we go on to like blowing our coin in the in the slums of Zamora. And they get hammered and Conan passes out in some pea soup. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's got a helmet that clearly doesn't fit his head. Yep, yep. Right, was face, face down in the bowl. Yep, yep. No, um, oh, yeah, all good can... though. Like I think that's important. Like it's it's an interesting point as far as like, yeah, money can buy you everything you ever wanted, but does that really bring you happiness? And when you lose it all, what happens? Right. Well, in, in Valeria, of course, they have become lovers at this point. Yeah, I think that's she, the big point, yeah. Yeah, she points out to him, like, they, they meet King Osric, and he offers them jewels and enough to make them kings themselves if they return his wayward daughter, um, who has fallen under the spell of Thalsa Doom. But yeah. when they sort of get this offer, they take 
he, they get basically an advance payment. Um, but she tells him, you know, it's so rare in this world to have warmth. We have this. And she has confides that she's been a loner her whole life. And she has finally found this. And that to forget this vengeance and forget this daughter and just take what they have and leave and live well. Um, and again, I think it's a testament. She she does a really great job in this film of being uh, out of the emotional anchor. Like, like sincere. Some of, the lines, yeah. some of the lines are not easy lines to deliver. They're they're intense and they could be cheesy, but they, they don't really come across that way to me. And that warmth theme comes up again later on when she yeah. uh, when she passes, right? When she, well, gets, and when she gets snaked. Yeah. We uh we kind of glossed over it there, but King Osric is played by Max von Sydow. Right. I think is how you say his name. Who um he's a great actor, appears in lots of movies. Um he also like I guess he's uh traditionally a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. And he basically treated King Osric as a Shakespearean character and he kind of hammed up his lines. He made yeah. them like super dramatic. Yeah. But I think it added like to the weight. Like this is a man who lost his daughter to a cult. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what to do, which I think not being a parent or anything, but unlike figuring out how to how to navigate your relationship with like your offspring, I think that's, that's right. a pretty universal thing too. Yeah, and he he uh I think it's it's another part of Milius's plan was like he had all these non actors in the film and he he buffered them with like your James Earl Jones and your Max von Sydow. Yeah. Sort of, uh, make sure you have some some real cred in there. Uh, and uh, as a side note, um, if you've seen the Solomon Kane movie, Max von Sydow actually makes an appearance. Yep, in is in film. there too. Who is he in that one? Uh, the father, he, yeah. the father of Solomon Kane. Oh, yeah, okay, great, okay, right. He's toward the um, end. Of we the didn't. Movie, I that. dig that movie too. Yeah. By the way, I like that movie. Yeah, I don't. I, I we, I we don't will talk it. about that someday, but. Yeah. Um, there's things to like in there for sure. We didn't mention, but Subutai is played by Jerry Lopez, also a non-actor. He's a professional su- surfer. He's Hispanic, and I think he's Hawaiian th- actually. Yeah, Hawaiian. Yeah, and uh, his lines are dubbed. He didn't. That's not his voice. He I acted and said the lines on film, but they dubbed over him with an Asian actor. I think it's his voice when he um, when he does the wild blueberry line with when he and Arnold. Oh, the one in the director's cut. Picking wild blueberries. Yes. <laughs> so fresh Thank down. you, Arnold. And then he says, "You know, I, I feel that wind too in the north of every man's heart." Right. Yes. That's gives me chills. Quite an exchange, yeah. Um, so I feel like we're we're kind of just going scene for scene in this and. Um, uh, it's it occurs to me that our our listeners have probably know this film rather well, so if we want to speed up to certain things that uh, jump out at us. We can, or we can continue on this way. Sure. Um, I mean, ultimately, we got to talk about meeting. What is it? The wizard. They just call him the wizard in uh, in Barbarian. Although he gets the name Akiro in Destroyer. Right. But. You called him Mako. I, that might be right. I, I always called him Mako. Again, I don't know for sure. Yeah, what, not sure. I've what a great voice. Oh, he yeah. he's like this crotchety, goofy old man. <laughs> like just 
what a great character. Like the way he reacts to everything. He doesn't like using magic, but he does it. There's a price to pay. He's just a goofy guy, and he he brings a lot of I don't know charisma to like the the role he plays. You can summon demons, wizard. If you struck at me, I would summon a demon more powerful than all in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're having we're having too much fun, I think. Huh? Too much fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, of course they meet him. Um, which I mean, the, the the major scenes that come after this, of course, for me, the big ones are. Oh God, there's so many. Still there are so many. Low. There's still the uh, the camouflage infiltration of the, yeah. So guys, why don't we maybe think about making this a two-parter? I think uh, if Arnold's up for it, I think uh, I think I'm down. Yes, I I have to check my schedule with my agent. Uh, I'm just Arnold. kidding. Oh come on, Arnold! You, you got to help us out, man. We we have you here. We need you for uh, another another half of this. We have, this is such a big thing. Can you do it? All right, let's do it. All right. All right. Excellent. So what we're going to do is we're going to start to wrap this up. Uh, we will bring you the second half of the movie in the next podcast uh, because I, I kind of had a hunch that this was going to run super duper long. Um, so why don't we wrap up our last thoughts on the first half of the movie and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the next part and the whole, the, all the action that we haven't covered, all the real big action. Uh, yeah. and we'll let Arnold lead us on the next podcast about that. So final thoughts around the first half. Yeah. I, I would say that we got so many classic iconic scenes and there are still so many to come. And it was perhaps a a foolish wish to think we could cover this in an hour, especially when it's such an important film, not only to us on a personal level, but you know, our, our show is about this is easily the greatest sword and sorcery film ever made. I don't think yeah. anyone could argue that. Right? Well, and some would, some would try, but I mean, they would be wrong. <laughs> our, our, our podcast is about sword and sorcery and then specifically sword and sorcery and pop culture beyond just literature. So I think it's probably silly to cut this short for the sake of making an hour. Um, and sure. we have, we have more, we have more to more to say on this. Yeah. Um, as far as the first part goes, like, we live in a world of superhero movies. We've all seen origin stories over and over and over again. Um, initially, they wanted a franchise. We didn't really get it, much to my dismay. We got a couple movies. But this is probably one of the best way, like best origin stories ever. It's human. It's realistic. It has weight. It has ramifications on the, the ending of the movie. Was it necessarily needed? No. Was it very Robert E. Howard? No. But as a movie, it's not just an origin story, but it, it, it tells the story of a boy becoming a hero, I guess. And I think it, it really works. A lot of people making origin stories might be, um, they might learn something if they took the time to watch this movie, I think. Nice. Yeah. I think for me, um, you know, obviously... I, I go back to the eighties quite a bit. This was a very big thing. This was on TV a ton, uh, mm. obviously quite the edited version. I've saw the TV sure. edited version long before I saw any of the other stuff. So this is like the fiber of me growing up as well. And, you know, before I even knew 
a single thing about Conan. This was probably my really probably one of my bigger references. Uh, so so it hits home very much, um, and. You know, I think this is one of those things that like turn you on to the genre. You see it, especially if you're not necessarily digging or looking for the books. You see this, and it's either going to click or it's not. And if it clicks, that's how I got here. Yeah, and if it clicks, you're in. I mean, you, you then you then the you can look for all the other amazing things that are there. Um, yeah. So this is really one of the big gateways, I think. And it's yeah, fun. I think it's I think it's a big reason a lot of people are still here and still reading Conan. And I think you'll have some people who don't even want to admit that, right? It's yeah, probably. I it's it's the I think it's the truth, and I think it's disingenuous to undersell the importance of this film. Arnold, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Yes. So I know at the end of your show, you're always doing the thing with the keeping the swords sharp and all of this. I want to do the end. I want to do that part, and I don't want to say I don't want to say that thing here. Listen, I'm going to give it over to you. Why don't you take us home? All right, the last thing I want to say is this. Enough talk. This is the Grey Mouser here. I want to know when I'm going to get a movie. Me and Farford deserve something, don't you think, Farford? Gee whiz, Mouser. That sounds like a swell idea.